Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Howdy. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Dharug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future. And acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How has your week been? I haven't seen you for a week. I know, it's, it's been a while. I'm afraid I'm the reason that there wasn't an episode last week. I sort of <laughs> last minute went up to a friend's family's farm and lived as a little little cowboy. Cottagecore. Cottagecore vibe, yeah. It was actually very interesting. It was good fun. Reversed on some quads. Shot a hunting rifle, though not at anything. I am a yeah, vegan. I'm a little concerned that now you know how to shoot a gun. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for the revolution, baby. I don't like that. Nobody wants to date a man that knows how to shoot a gun. That's yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, nonetheless, enjoyed myself. It was good to have a little break, but I'm I'm keen to be back here, back recording. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel like I actually miss doing this. Sometimes I like find it exhausting. I'm like, maybe we should do it fortnightly, but then we don't do it, and I'm like, no, there's so much to talk about. They're I just, know. Who am I going to talk about it with? So it's nice. It's nice for you to be back. It's nice for us to be doing this. Um, How has your week yeah. been? Oh, busy, busy, busy. I just like working a lot. Just had lots going on. Saw a couple of friends that I haven't really hung out with too much in a while, which is really nice. I feel like I utilized my time away from you very well. I was extremely productive uh, socially and emotionally. And yeah, lots of apartment hunting. I just got accepted today, so I'll be moving soon, which is going to be chaotic. Very exciting. Very exciting. Look, there may not be an episode next week, depending on how much I get done this weekend. But I feel like moving is a pretty good excuse to not have recorded an episode. I feel like that's very forgivable. So, (laughs) but yeah, it's been good. It's just been chaotic. Let's get into some follow up before we get into today's episode. I have a couple of things I want to bring up. The first one is regarding our medical racism episode, because there's this really fucking harrowing news story that I saw yesterday. I feel like I should just give a quick trigger warning. I'm going to discuss briefly for like a minute or two some birth trauma and the death of an infant, which I know can be really, really triggering for some people. Just a heads up. But there's a new story going around about a mom in New Zealand uh, who is traumatized after her newborn baby died in hospital care because they refused to help her. So basically what happened, this is a brown woman, by the way, which is relevant to the story. So a brown woman went to the hospital. She was 22 weeks pregnant when she went into labor. Um, And so she showed up at the hospital, panicked, uh, needing help, telling them that she has gone into labor. She is going to have this baby. It's coming now. And they didn't believe her because she's 22 weeks. So obviously it would be a preemie baby. So they refused to assist her. And she was like begging and crying for help. And they told her to shut up as she started screaming uh, as she, you know, started to go into labor and birth the baby. She did birth the child and it literally like fell out of her onto the floor because none of the staff would assist her or take her seriously. And she's like crying and like, Obviously, it's just an incredibly awful, traumatic, harrowing situation. And her baby lost its life because none of the staff would assist her. They refused to get medical care. Her baby died. And she is obviously fucking devastated now. Um, And she's accusing the hospital of, like, alleged racial bias for not helping her. 
the hospital has said, well, they haven't denied like anything she said. Like they have corroborated her version of events, but they said that this situation doesn't qualify for like an investigation or an inquiry. At the time of recording, nothing has really like come out of this yet. She's come out with allegations and blamed the hospital for her baby's death. And they're kind of just like, yeah, we didn't assist her, but that's not really anything that can be investigated or changed so it's obviously a pretty fucked situation it's really traumatic um i'll put a link to it in the source list for those of you who want to read more about her but i just want to bring that up because we just talked about medical racism and this is one of those scenarios where like they don't have to say a racial slur for it to be like racist like the fact that a woman who is very obviously a person of color was denied help at like an incredibly vulnerable moment and lost a child because of it and there doesn't seem to be any reasoning like and she is alleging racial bias. Like, this stuff happens all the time. This is in New Zealand as well, which is, like, supposed to be, you know, less racist than us. It isn't. But, yeah, I guess I just wanted to bring it up as, like, just another example of common racist shit that happens in hospitals, especially around women of colour giving birth. Like, this is very specifically something that is disproportionately affected by medical racism. All right. And the other thing I want to bring up, it's kind of like a follow-up, but also more like it's going to lead us into our topic for today. Mm. Uh, and it's some. I thought it was quite funny news. Victoria's Secret is rebranding to be a feminist company, which I just. I thought it was a Batuta article. Yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Um, Victoria's Secret is obviously notorious for incredibly fucked, you know, perpetuation of beauty standards, for like perpetuating eating disorders, for being the general reason a lot of women hate their bodies. I mean, they've got their, you know, like VS Angels show. Yeah, there's like, I feel like I don't need to get into the history of Victoria's Secret. (laughs) Y'all know. (laughs) Y'all know. And then there's obviously the fact that their lingerie company also uses a prison in mate labor (laughs) as well to make Mm. the undies um and there have been many accusations in the past from like customers uh women that have been body shamed apparently by staff like in the stores and i just i mean i laughed when i saw the headline because like does anyone even give a fuck about victoria's secret anymore like are they even remotely relevant to us I can't speak for maybe like slightly older generations, but as like somebody who's kind of in the lower end of millennial, older end of Gen Z, like we don't care. My generation of people does not give a fuck about Victoria's Secret. None of us shop at Victoria's Secret. Probably the last time I remember even vaguely like caring about Victoria's Secret was when all of us at like 15 years old used to use the body mist and every girl's bathroom just smelt like temptation by Victoria's Secret. But aside from that, you know, we never really bought their lingerie or gave a shit about them. And even when I was in high school, it was pretty common knowledge that Victoria's Secret was like bad for the body positive movement. Like we all kind of knew that they were always problematic. So how exactly are they rebranding this? So they are basically wiping out the whole angels situation. So there's no more Victoria's Secret angels. It's now the VS Collective. Mm. And instead they've hired like a bunch of, you know, inspirational women Uh, who are now, that's what the brand is about now. So now it's about, you know, empowerment. Now it's it's very girl boss feminism. Uh, Look, some of the women, like there's nothing wrong with the women that they've chosen. So they've replaced their VS Angels with people like US soccer player Megan Rapinoe, a trans model, Valentina Sampeo, and Adu Akech, who's a South Sudanese refugee model. Like these are are progressive women. It's not like there's an issue with who they've chosen. 
but it's about the fact that this just seems like such a fucking desperate last minute change in order to somehow keep their company from going under because like their reputation is tanked nobody gives a fuck about them anymore they've lost their relevance the only time we ever care about them is when there's a conspiracy or like you know something bad has happened and they know it and this just to me seems like a really like desperate grab of like some relevance they're like fuck we've tried everything it's not working. Let's jump on the girl boss trend because that generally works. And it's really, I mean, look, it's clearly and very obviously fake because they apparently are not going to anytime soon change their sizing. So they're not going to have inclusive sizing, which I feel like it's probably the first step you would do as a company that's, that's trying to be like feminist, right? It's like the first thing you would do is have like inclusive plus sized stuff. And they have in the past refused to have plus size models. They've been really anti that whole thing. And they like clearly still are because they're not at least any time in the future going to increase their sizing, which is just like I feel like a pretty good example of how this is fucking bullshit, especially because they basically just got rid of a bunch of women and replaced them with women that they think are like more palatable to the girl boss movement. Yeah, more sellable. Yeah, but those other women, as much as like they might perpetuate like unhealthy body images, they're also victims of that as well. Like, like. You know, the VS Angels are also victims in their own right. So this the whole thing is just fucked. Like you can't just fire a bunch of women and hire another bunch of women and be like, it's fine now. It's not fine now. <laughs> um, but the reason that I'm bringing Victoria's Secret up, and I will link an article as well in the sources, is a really good Guardian piece, just kind of slamming it, which I really liked. But yes, that has kind of prompted us to talk about girl boss feminism today. Today's topic is kind of going to be all about girl boss feminism, how it began, the rise of the girl boss, which has been kind of a pretty recent phenomenon, like 2010s, and now in 2021, how it's just crashed and burned. I feel like in the last even six months, suddenly it's an ironic thing, like girl boss is ironic now. And it happened very suddenly, and I have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, and we'll also talk about Girlboss's relationship with white feminism and racism, which is something I briefly mentioned in last week's episode when we talked about imposter syndrome in the workplace. Cool. But yeah, let's get into it. I'm sure all of you have heard of the Girlboss or hashtag Girlboss. It is very popular. It's on like a million t-shirts, probably from Cotton On. <laughs> it's part of that hashtag feminist, hashtag girls are the future. Like it's that whole vibe. Uh, but I don't know how many of you actually know like the history of like the Girlboss or where it came from. So I feel like I'm going to do a really quick context building moment. The term Girlboss was actually coined by then CEO of Nasty Girl, Sophia Amoruso. It was the title of her book, hashtag Girlboss. Uh, she was like a very famous CEO that was pretty much, she didn't pioneer the whole girl boss situation, but I think she's the one who really kind of brought it the fame and attention that it has at the moment. She was all about like making in the corporate world and becoming a female CEO and usurping her male oppressors. And it was like a very corporate specific brand of feminism that was quite unapologetically pro-capitalism. Um, like it was all about succeeding as a woman capitalist. That is what it's about. Like, it's not like us being like, this is capitalism. It like legitimately is in its definition and quite openly about capitalism and women being capitalists. It's about helping women become capitalists. It was like initially and still to this day, mostly used by white women, which is unsurprising because like this is, it's just thinly veiled white feminism, which I'll get to a bit later. And it, you know, also essentially centered around success in the workplace. Like, clawing your way up 
that work hierarchy so that you're no longer the employee, you're the boss, you're the girl boss. Now the people are under you, now you're the CEO, now you're in charge. And it had like a very strong relationship with like hustle culture and like, you know, work hard, play hard, the whole get up at 4am, work all day, do my yoga etc etc <laughs> wellness but also work myself to the bone to the point where I have self-esteem issues based on my productivity repeat 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 yeah so it's just like pretty fucked it always has been but there was a time where it was really popular and that was in the early 2010s when it was coined because I mean even just like the common idea of feminism back then was quite limited like we were not at the point we are now where we're talking about intersectional feminism and inc- inclusivity and all those other things like at that point feminism was pretty much just like women have the right to be paid as much as men and work as much as men and that's kind of where a conversation would end at least in the public this is also at the same time that Beyonce did her really famous performance where she had that huge hashtag feminist sign I think it was at the Super Bowl and that is actually like you can pinpoint when Cotton On and all that started selling feminist t-shirts and it was then it was after Beyonce did that. Because prior to that, feminist was still like kind of a dirty word. It was still controversial. I think I was about 15 or so at the time. Um, and I would, like when Beyonce did that, most of my friends were the kind of people that said, I'm not a feminist, but I believe in equality. Except me. Yeah, I was like always- feminism is sort of cringe, bro. Yeah. That's, I feel like that was the vibe. I was definitely one of those, like, oh my God, you're such a cringe feminist girl. Like, you hate men. I was definitely one of those girls at 15. But um, no. So, like, at that time, like, most of my friends, I was pretty radical in terms of feminism, at least. And, like, most, it just wasn't common yet. And then Beyonce did that, and suddenly everybody wanted to be a feminist or was proud of the feminist label because Beyonce did it. And Beyonce's, you know, feminist capitalist girl boss queen. Beyonce is a girl boss. You know, like, she is obviously progressive, I guess, in terms of like racial representation, but she's also first and foremost a capitalist. And I mean, there's been, you know, many controversies with her brand and how it uses like unethical female labor. But anyway, that is when hashtag feminist became popular. And then like very closely after hashtag girl boss took off and we were in a new version of feminism spiraled to the forefront of pop culture by Beyonce. And I think despite Beyonce's one kind of, I mean, it was corporate. She's also a black woman, which is interesting because Girlboss is very white. But the reason Girlboss, I guess, is different from Beyonce's hashtag feminism is because, like, it does center white women. It is very specifically for white women in the workplace. Because as we know already, just through, like, knowledge of feminism and, like, pay statistics, like, if we look at pay gaps, it's, like, white men and then white women and then men of color and then women of color. Like, white women are still kind of at the top of the corporate hierarchy. They're just below white men. So Girlboss feminism is all about getting white women to the same level or above white men. And it kind of doesn't include women of colour in like quite a lot of ways. Maybe we'll get to the racism actually in the next bit. I do have this quote that I thought was really good that also just talks about like the etymology of girl bars because Mitch and I are both etymology nerds and we like to know where words come from. This is a quote from a Vox article. I will also link it because I'm going to quote it a few times today and it's just really exceptional research. But this is a quote. When you look at the actual word girl boss... There may be some internalized sexism. Alexandra Solomon, a professor who specializes in gender and gender roles at Northwestern University, told me. Research shows that as women get older and as women become more powerful, they are perceived as less likable. So by using that term girl boss, there's a desire to be powerful, but a fear of losing likability. So even the term girl boss still kind of centers in white feminism because it still relies on the innocent young white woman who's not aggressive or scary she's a boss but she's a girl 
Yeah, it still in- inscribes like a femininity that is non-threatening to yeah, yeah the, the the hegemonic masculine ideal. Yeah, and which is also why it immediately bars women of color from kind of really taking up girl boss because a lot of us don't get to have that innocent femininity that white women are afforded. Like if I went all girl boss in my workplace, I would be the angry woman of color. And you know what? Other white women would gatekeep it from me. They would. Like because it's that femininity is only afforded to white women and white women are the only women that can get away with being this like boss but also being like this feminine, like beautiful woman. And girl boss like has direct ties to also just like, you know, sexist and racist beauty standards as well because a lot of girl boss hashtags come with you know the lipstick emoji and the high heel emoji it is still hyper feminine and it is again that very specific white femininity of like being a tall skinny woman who wears heels and has a hair done every day has nails else on every day and wears a lot of makeup and like it honestly is actually quite relevant to that episode we did yonks back on makeup yeah, um, episode three. Episode three, I and think. now we're on like thirty-seven. Yeah, also we did an episode ages ago, which actually does talk a little bit about like the beauty industry, and I think that is very directly relevant to Girl Boss. Girl Boss exists within the confines of a lot of, you know, oppressive industries. But yeah, it's basically all about women CEOs, hustle culture, women subverting workplace ex- expectations, and it's it really focuses on the idea that money and power will solve gender inequality. Uh, There's another really good quote from this Fox article that I'm going to read you. In this context, power and money became measures of equality and rising to power in a capitalist system turned into an empowering feminist victory. It was a way of framing financial success and consumerism as goodness. The implicit promise was that if consumers made these girl bosses successful – it would mean better working conditions for women and with that, maybe empowerment for all. Because a lot of girl boss culture comes from like, this woman CEO starts a company and now we all as women and feminists should should shop her products to support other women, to support women workplaces, to support women-led initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty easy to see how people like buy into that. Even now, like we see all the time, like shop POC-owned businesses, shop women-owned businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we seem to like limit our activism and our ideas of like uh, I guess liberation and like who we shop under and like which CEO we support. Yeah, well, when you were bringing up Beyonce, I was just thinking about her marriage with Jay Z and and his whole wave is about being the black entrepreneur, being the the black billionaire. Black capitalism. Black capitalism is what's uh, most important and will what will you know change the world for the better. That's what's going to liberate the black community, capitalism, exactly. which was built on black slavery. <laughs> Seems like a bit of a pipe dream, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the girl boss situation is very similar. Like it completely lacks any um like it basically it doesn't believe in the dismantling of capitalism. It believes that capitalism can be used to get some women success and if we get those women success inherently it'll make the world a better place for all women. Which is obviously not true. And I guess that's where like although the disillusionment of girl boss eventually got us it's kind of where we are now i would say it's like eventually people were going to figure out that it's not fucking useful the downfall kind of began with the ceos that started it all so like the nasty girl ceo and like other women ceos at the time because they were all like exposed for mistreating their workers as is necessary to be a rich capitalist like you cannot become a rich capitalist without exploiting somebody. That is the way capitalism works. Be it wage theft, be it unfair working standards, be it not paying your workers enough, like whatever it is, in order for a company to flourish that quickly, (laughs) 
there is going to be unethical bullshit going around, um, which is what happened with these women. Uh, like all their like staff members kind of came out and exposed them for like using feminism as a means to get support for their companies. But then if you actually look at their company model and at the workplace, it was incredibly toxic. A lot of the women that were supposedly being, you know, liberated by having to work under a woman were actually like just as stressed and feeling just as shitty as working anywhere else. Except this time it was kind of worse because they were gaslit as well. Because it was like, oh, well, you're working for a woman. So if you aren't supportive of this, you must hate women and you're not a feminist. You're just tearing other women down. Like, wow, look at you being selfish for not supporting this woman, even if the way she's doing this is flawed and toxic. And that's kind of where, like, maybe the hatred for Girlboss started to come around in, like, more public circles. It's always been something that I think women of colour have never been that supportive of. And I say this, that's obviously a general statement. Maybe I should say radical women of colour, because there are definitely women of colour and women of colour CEOs that have jumped onto the bandwagon. But from, like, the working class women of colour, there's a lot of us that have never really bought into the Girlboss in the first place. But there is another Vox quote that I'm going to read. The success these companies achieved in linking gender to their brand belies the idea that women are virtuous, kind, and gentle. They weren't supposed to succumb to greed or power to commit the same terrible abuses male CEOs perpetuate. I love that quote because I think that explains exactly why people like me have never bought into girlboss culture and it explains why white women did. Because... Women of colour know that white women can be just as bad as white men. We're oppressed by both of y'all. Like, we know it's not news for us. And it's not reassuring having a white woman boss over a white male boss. Like, it doesn't make a difference to us. We're still oppressed. But for a lot of white women, they saw themselves in that scenario. They saw themselves as potentially being a girl boss. They saw this white woman succeed. And that meant that they could potentially succeed. Whereas people like me understand that the success of a white woman will often come at the expense of a success of a woman of colour, right? So, yeah, it's kind of it's already kind of sexist in its own ideal because even the idea that girl bosses are better than male bosses because of their inherently feminine traits already reinforces a lot of female stereotypes and it's also transphobic as well. But, like, most working-class women of colour are pretty aware that white women CEOs can be just as brutal and unethical and cruel as white male CEOs. Probably, like, some really good and not really CEO examples, but, like, recent examples of girl-boss feminism that became fucking cringe. It's like Hillary Clinton. (laughs) You know, like, her entire model was on, like, here for the gals, here for the gals. And she's literally, like, a warmonger that bombed Iraqi women. This is not feminism. You can't bomb marginalized communities and then be, like, a feminist. But you can do it while being a girl-boss. Because girl-boss is about white women. And it's about white women beating white men at their own game. And if the game is bombing Iraqi people and white women do it more than white men, they want it being a girl boss. Mm. So it's all about, it's literally revolves around beating white men at their game, which is like fucking every person of color is going to lose in this scenario. Like I don't, the Iraqi people don't care if it's a man or woman bombing them, you know, like it's still fucked. Um, And you know what? Kamala Harris is also like a really good example of that as a brown woman who has capitalized on girl boss culture she's now the vp um in the usa she used to be a cop and now she's the vice president and her whole thing is all about like breaking the glass ceiling and getting a seat at the table and it's like fuck this table (laughs) fuck this table like all you're doing is just getting to the same level as our oppressors and then doing better than them at oppressing us like it's not something that i want to fucking celebrate it's why i'm pretty i mean if you guys want to learn more about why i fucking hate kamala harris you can listen to our rbg episode 
uh, we get into it a lot then. But, you know, these are examples of like girl boss feminism is just centered around women succeeding under capitalism, which is inherently going to link to white feminism because it's only really white feminism that can like compete with white men in that way. And to do that, they have to like fuck over marginalized communities, particularly marginalized women. Yeah, and like you were saying before, the girl boss isn't just a boss that's a girl, but it's a boss that exudes a certain specific type of femininity, which is further exclusionary to femininities that aren't white, typically. Yeah, exactly. There was a really, this is a slight tangent, but I saw a really good article about the new Cruella DeVille movie, which I haven't seen, uh, the new Disney one with Emma Stone in it. And I think it was literally called, like, Gaslight Gay Girl Boss and then blah, 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 Cruella DeVille. And it was, like, kind of just a, it was really scathing talking about how that movie is just like all girl boss feminism. Like all of it is about white women just fucking clawing their way to the top to be like white men. Mm. Um, I haven't watched it. So I will say that I'm not really going to make a judgment on the movie having not seen it, but I did read that article and I thought it was very interesting. Um, I will also link that below. But yeah. And I also just feel like that, that whole idea of like white women just wanting a seat at the table with white men It's like that's, I mean, that's literally white feminism, which we've talked about in the white feminism episode. But it's also really relevant to last week's episode on imposter syndrome. Because a huge issue with girl boss feminism is the way it perpetuates white feminism in the workplace. It's like the aggressive girl boss is often employing racism against women of color that are deemed a threat to their hierarchy that shake up the corporate space. Because women of color like often come in with more, I guess, information more ideas about how to change a company because they have to like because it's not built for them and like that is threatening to the girl boss because the girl boss is all about change and innovation but not to the extent that it actually liberates anybody just to the extent that they can be a feminist icon and be rich as fuck (laughs) like it's really self-serving this level of feminism and it is the same version of feminism that leads to racism in the workplace like perpetuated by white women towards women of color and it's exactly what i talked about in the imposter syndrome episode about like when people like me come into a workplace with like more radical politics and we're not impressed by girl boss culture and we don't buy into it because we know how it affects us we're a threat to the girl boss hierarchy and we're a threat to like the illusion the illusion that this is emancipatory the illusion that like girl boss is actually going to do something for us this like this particular brand of feminism and we can't we're not allowed to shatter that because it'll cost these people profits because it is really centered in profits and capitalism you know every like think about every fucking brand that like now has been built on feminism and like selling feminist t-shirts and selling feminist attire or we're, we're a woman-owned company that'll be in the instagram bio as if that like means anything because like what about the labor circumstances like if your t-shirt is supplied by the same fucking company as every other t-shirt but one says hashtag feminist on it that doesn't make it a feminist product yeah exactly when you're buying your hashtag feminist t-shirt it's always the bangladeshi women yeah that crafted it that are forgotten and even in other ways like because this cheap labor is outsourced to these you know uh East Asian countries, it reaffirms this stereotype that women have to be good at textile work. So really, while your feminism over here is about being liberatory, it further reaffirms certain stereotypes in other countries where you outsource your labor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, girl boss feminism relies on the continued marginalization of ethnic women. Your fave girl boss company is making clothes by underpaid Bangladeshi garment workers. You know, a really good example of that is when Kylie Jenner was accused um, of not paying her Bangladeshi garment workers like right after she became a billionaire. 
It's the two are linked. You can't become, you know, a billionaire or whatever without having unethical labor under your belt, which is almost always going to be ethnic women, particularly like Asian women. And also just like slave labor as well. I mean, that's Victoria's Secret. Like prison inmate labor where they get paid fucking two cents an hour is slave labor. It's just legal slave labor. And I'm not even like exaggerating. Under the American Constitution, slavery is outlawed in all forms except as punishment or repayment. So slavery of a prison inmate is legal in America. And it's why they are so hellbent on putting black people in prison because it's just legalized slave trade. Um, and Victoria's Secret, which are now apparently, you know, feminist queens, use prison inmate labor, which is predominantly the black community who get put in prison for this very reason. Like, that is not girl feminism. Look at who the fuck is making your clothes. This episode isn't about like, oh, yeah, like shop sustainable, but it's just about like be fucking critical, I guess, because there's no such thing as like a feminist corporation. There just isn't. Under capitalism, it's not possible when all of the things we have are kind of all made in the same marginalized and exploited communities. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like girlboss feminism is a very bourgeois feminism. And just, and it seems like a regression in some ways as well. I know it can be reductive to think of contemporary feminism in like first, second, third wave, etc. But it seems in a way a regression back to second wave feminism. Where third wave feminism saw the emergence of intersectionality, second wave feminism was focused more on the workplace, more on uh, reproductive rights, and was sort of a response to the Second World War, the renewed domesticity of women after they had previously been in the workplace while all the men were fighting the war and then had to return to their positions at home, returning to becoming the homemaker. And what we saw with that feminism, what we saw during that period was when women and specifically white women after the Second World War wanted to sort of transcend and transgress their positions as the domestic homemaker, which is fantastic when they demanded the the same opportunities as men. When they left the home, when they left those positions, who picked up the pieces? Who takes care of the kids? Who cleans the house? Who prepares the food? Well, it becomes women of color. They have to pick up the pieces, usually immigrants who have to take up these roles, the Latino maids, the brown nanny, etc., etc. While we're obviously for the autonomy of women and don't think women should be contained within a specific way of life to be contained within the household, it's apparent that girlboss feminism doesn't usurp these cultural roles. Society hasn't now challenged the idea that it's a woman's role to be in the household because POC women are expected to take up that role and then their femininity is further reified is further contained further forced upon them yeah and it kind of just brings us back to the point that girl boss feminism actually did nothing to like change the circumstances of women it just opened up a portal for some women to jump through to have the same opportunities as men but like every other woman was left behind and yeah women of color just like ended up doing the menial sexist jobs that white women were doing because they had less opportunities. And it's women of color specifically because they understood that because they're women, they're suitable for these roles. So it's not usurping the idea that it's not a woman's place in the household. It's, it's just, just not that, a white woman's place. It's just not a white woman's place, yeah. A white woman's place is being a girl boss CEO. Women of color, they're the ones who can be the house cleaners, the nannies, the maids, the cooks, whatever. Like it's very centered on getting white women out of the home and into the workplace, but it has zero fucking interest in women of color at all. Like, it doesn't even, like, account for them. We're just, we don't exist. 
in this narrative. And if we do, we exist as the supporting features for a white woman to grasp her potential. For the white woman to grasp her potential and leave her status as just a housewife, she needs someone to pick up the slack at home and that's going to be women of colour who are never going to be afforded that same opportunity. Like their job is to be one step behind the white woman as always to support her and to pick up the pieces. And yeah, I feel like it's just white feminism. Girl boss feminism is just white feminism. It's just like a more corporate version of white feminism. I think I'm going to end it on this really good quote by Alexandra Solomon, the woman I quoted earlier, the genocide professor, who said, you've changed the bodies of the people who are sitting at the table, but you haven't changed the table. And I think that just like so aptly kind of sums up what girl boss feminism is about. Like it's just about getting women at the table or getting white women at the table the same way white feminism is. But it very openly is not interested in actually challenging patriarchal systems or capitalist systems or racial systems or any systems. It's not about challenging the way women are oppressed in society. It's just about making sure that white women can do the same things white men can and it leaves behind everybody else. It's not about making workplaces less sexist. It's just about getting more women into the sexist workplace. It's pretty useless in the long term. And people are realizing that now. It's why Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss is like an ironic version of Live, Laugh, Love on TikTok and Twitter. It's because we're all kind of waking up to how fucking useless it is, especially with the downfall um, of so many kind of girl boss companies and because it's kind of, I think, a bigger consciousness lately of how, like, white feminism exists and how it's shitty. And I think that, like, that's becoming a more common conversation in feminist circles and we're more interested in intersectionality. And something that I really wanted to bring up as well is, like, the ableism involved in girl boss feminism because it does nothing for disabled women. Absolutely nothing. Women who historically are ignored by the corporate world are still going to be ignored by the corporate world. And also, girl boss feminism implies that it is only, like, thin, cis, white, able-bodied women that are capable of this kind of feminism and that deserve this kind of feminism. And I think it's really important to note not just the absence of women of colour, but specifically the absence of, like, disabled women as well from this narrative. Yeah, I just don't think that this issue can be solved without dismantling capitalism. And thus, I think that feminism can't really... Uh, proceed without an anti-capitalist sentiment. Because within capitalism, I don't really have a solution for these answers. You know, I don't have a solution to, like, the way women of colour are marginalised to pick up the pieces uh, at white women's homes. There's no way to destroy these essential categories of how a woman is meant to live and the role of men and women without destroying the capitalist system, which further forces them into these roles. Yeah, exactly. I think when capitalism is literally built, and like the economy as well, is built on black slavery um, and the marginalization of ethnic women and the exploitation of like marginalized communities and their labor, like this is what capitalism is built on. You don't make a profit unless you underpay these people. We're never going to have like a truly feminist world. Like we have to dismantle capitalism because like at the end of the day, it's built on like unethical labor. Like, it's built on the exploitation of labor. That's what capitalism is. So, yeah, I just, I guess we want to wrap it up with, like, a girl boss feminism is fucking useless. I'm glad the world isn't waking up to it, to be honest. I feel like it's, we're, we're seeing through how cynical it is, especially with the Victoria's Secret situation. Like, I think that's just a really great example of how on-the-nose shitty girl boss feminism is. But it's a good time to, like, really think about the role of capitalism in feminism um, and to think about the role of capitalism in your feminism because, like, just buying from female-owned brands is not going to do shit 
for women. It's not. And we're going to stop relying on like consumerism to solve feminist issues. That's not going to happen. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I think now's a good time to talk about our sponsors for this episode, which is you, our lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so, so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you like today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film books and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here'sathingthoughpodcast at gmail.com. Please include your name and pronouns and any other important info. And you can also talk about this with us on our Facebook thread, which is for the Facebook group, Here's a Thing Though podcast with Sleeha. Um, do answer the questions if you're going to join, because I will not accept a join request otherwise. It's true. I've seen her do it. <laughs> yes, I'm a bit savage with a join request, so you, you must answer the questions. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.